and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And most recently, from our study in the book of Acts, Acts 1.8, the words of Jesus, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Our text today that Justin read from Acts 11 is another account of how the commander's intent, God's objective, is being accomplished despite the enemy's countermeasures and even among the shifting circumstances and changing plans of life. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your word for it, the fact that it is a light unto our path and we stumble in this dark world. How we need you and how we need the wisdom of your word to know how to live, what to do, what to think, how to be. God, we humble ourselves before your word in these moments ahead. Bless us with its truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one could only imagine the elation of that early church as a downtrodden and defeated tiny group of people. Remember that back in the beginning of the book of Acts? This downtrodden, defeated, tiny group of people are radically transformed and energized by the descent in power of the promised Holy Spirit. And these timid souls became fearless witnesses to the salvation that was possible through Jesus. They boldly preached the gospel. They continued the miracle ministry of their Lord. They made inroads in the great city of Jerusalem. And thousands upon thousands of people heard the good news and received it. And the growth of that church meant the increase of those who were coming to live as we are all created to live. Under the lordship of Jesus. That's the purpose for the growth of the church, you understand. Not to say that, oh my goodness, look at how great and how big this church is. But to say, look at this. More and more human souls, human beings are, are being reclaimed by Christ. Are coming to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The borders of God's kingdom are expanding exponentially. And you can only imagine the excitement in those days. And the amazement as they looked at one another and said, Can you believe what God is doing? All the back slapping that must have been going on there. And all the high fives if they ever did that back then. I don't know. But those were the early days of this amazing, great, fruitful, reclaiming, converting ministry of the early church. Maybe you've had those sort of moments in your life. Moments of happiness, moments of joy, when things are just moving in a good direction, right? When, when all your plans are working out and everything is falling into place and success abounds and every time you drop a piece of toast, it lands with a butter side up. <laughs> we know, right? We know to enjoy those moments when they come. Enjoy them while they last. All is well. It's all, all good for a while in this early church, in those early days. They found great favor in the city. They had victory upon victory as they took the fight for faith literally to the temple and to the streets and to the city square. But see, the problem with battle plans is the enemy doesn't follow them. 
the enemy responds too. And he doesn't want to see the church prevail. He does not want to see believers prosper. He certainly doesn't want to see the kingdom of God expanding and, and changing lives and snatching souls from the eternal fires of hell. And so in the face of the Christian offensive, he countered with intense opposition and persecution. And that's where our passage for this morning picks up. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn again to the book of Acts, chapter 11. We're going to look through just a few verses. You may as well keep it open just to make sure that I'm reading the right thing. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Sorry, verse 19. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So Stephen was the first Christian martyr. We've studied Stephen a little bit. Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7. The very first Christian to die because of his faith. And his death by stoning sent the signal, the shockwave really, that the, the philosophical and the religious opposition that the church had been uh, incurring at the hands of a few was now being taken to new heights. The threat to life for anyone who professed to believe in Jesus was real, and people like Saul are actively, eagerly seeking to punish and to harm followers of the way, the Christians in Jerusalem. And the result of that was a great exodus out of that city. A lot of people ran away. And yet some would say, ironically, we would say divinely, the very persecution designed to eradicate the Christian church led instead to its expansion through the world. As believers evacuated Jerusalem to avoid a fate similar to Stephen's, they traveled far and wide in the region, Luke tells us, here in chapter 11, that some traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. I don't know if we have that picture, Ben. You can try. If not, I can describe it. Would it take a while? Okay. Oh, that's not bad at all. I know that we don't all know our Bible uh, geography. Um, so there you go. Syrian Antioch is the, uh, is the city that... You can take that down now, Ben. Thanks. Uh, Syrian Antioch is the city that we'll be talking about a little bit. It is uh, Antakia, I think is how they say it in southern Turkey now. 
It was known back then as Queen of the East, capital of the province of Syria, the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. Had a population at the time of, of over 500,000 people, half a million people. So that's a lot, right? Is that, how much, how is Ellsworth like 10,000? How many, does Ellsworth even have 10,000? Nine of the last census. So how many times do you have to times that to get to over 500,000? You see why I'm a pastor, not a mathematician. <laughs> Something like 50 times, maybe? Anyway, Antioch is located on a river and is a commercial hub. It's a center of east-west trade routes. As members of the first church left Jerusalem for that area, they were heading north. They're on their way, and Luke tells us that they're bearing witness of the faith. They're speaking the word as they go, but only to the Jews that they are encountering in that region only to their ethnic kin, only to their religious kin. Because it seems that the Jewish Christians who had fled Jerusalem had not read Acts chapter 11, verse 18. <laughs> and I'm going to suggest that's because it wasn't written yet, but we have it in our Bible, so take a look at that, if you would. Acts 11, verse 18. It's the report of the Apostle Peter to, to the people in Jerusalem after the events in Caesarea. I'm trying to bring you up to speed. We've been out of the book of Acts for a little while. I'm trying to bring you up to speed, okay? So this is Peter reporting on the events in Caesarea, especially, especially what happened at the household of a Gentile named Cornelius. When they heard these things, the story of Peter's vision, of the acceptance of the Gentiles, of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit among the Gentiles, when they heard these things, the leaders in Jerusalem fell silent and they glorified God saying, this is, this is so good. They said, well then, things have changed. To the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. We, you and I can hardly appreciate the magnitude of that revelation right there. We, we can hardly appreciate the magnitude of that admission right there and the drastic change that it represents. This revelation right here sets the stage for us to understand how and why the Christian church and the kingdom of God would grow so rapidly and in such diverse areas. Because by God's grace and in accordance with God's eternal plan, the church is open to everyone. Grasp that. The forgiveness of sins, the eternal salvation that is in Jesus, that was announced by the angels on the eve of his birth, good news of great joy for all people, truly would be for all people. John wrote about it. For as many as believed in him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. Jesus is going to be available to as many as would believe. People can become children of God by professing faith. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what they believed before. Because God God has made a way for them. This God, our God, knew that Israel was going to reject his son. Knew that they would spurn the Messiah. Knew that they would not accept their invitation to Christ's party. And when they did, all that God knew they were going to do, it was his plan all along that messages should go forth 
out into the highways and out into the byways and out into the hedges, right? We read about that in Luke's gospel and compel people from all walks and all strands of life to figuratively, according to that parable Jesus told, to come into the master's banquet. Come in here and sit down. Come into this party because you belong here. You might not have belonged here a while ago, but you belong here now. Come in. That's what makes this such good news, this, this message of Jesus, this thing we call the gospel, that there is a seat at God's table for everyone who will believe. We used to sing a song at, at, at Baptist Youth Camp. We still do sing it from time to time. Not so much anymore, but some of you will remember this very well. Its title is Big, Big House. And the reference, of course, is, is to God's house. But Jesus said to his disciples, John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, very familiar passage of scripture. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house and many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. God's got room for you, friend. Literally, there is a place prepared for you as a believer for eternity by Jesus if you receive the gift of salvation. Jesus has made a place for you because it's a big, big house, right? With lots and lots of rooms. And a big, big table with lots and lots of food. And a big, big yard where we can play football, which is where audio adrenaline goes off the script. <laughs> There's nothing in the Bible about football, though maybe there should be, I would argue. <laughs> a big, big house. And it's my father's house. The invitation to the Father's house now is for all who will believe. And that was brand new news to the first century world. We are on the ground floor here in Acts 11 in terms of church history. And the early church itself is learning and rejoicing to learn that the gospel is not just for Israel, not just for a select few people with the proper credentials, but it is for the Gentiles, it is for the non-Jewish people of the world. And it's going to understandably take some time for this to sink in. The, the magnitude and the truth of this revelation is it's going to take a while for this to become known. Not all those Christians, in fact, probably very few of those Christians, fleeing Jerusalem and heading north to Cyprus and to Phoenicia and to Antioch knew this or even had heard about it, but some had. Verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Cyprus, we saw that island in the Mediterranean, home of Barnabas, who's going to figure into this story here again pretty quickly. Cyrene is a city in North Africa. So if we were to think Cyprus here, when we think of Cyrene, we might think it must be up there, but actually, no, it's way over on this other side. It's in what we would consider Libya. So I make that point just to say this. These two places are not close together, okay? We're not talking Eastbrook and Franklin here. This isn't Hancock and Sullivan. These two places are not close together, and neither one of them is close to Antioch. So we, what we get here is a sense from Luke of the depth and the breadth of how far Christianity has already spread, 
of where its proponents are coming from, and clearly, obviously, where they are going to. But we have to understand here, and ought to understand anyway, the pedigree of these people who are now beginning to preach the gospel to the Hellenists, to the Gentiles, to the Greek-speaking uh, Gentiles. Their pedigree is not their place of birth. Their qualification to share the gospel is not their country of origin. These men are uniquely equipped to do what they're doing in that, number one, they literally speak the prevailing language in Antioch. That's always helpful. And more than that, and here's the thing, they have a clear desire to share Jesus. It's what they want to do. You see, by the Spirit in them, they know the commander's intent. Go. Make disciples. Some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Tim Keller calls these men, by the way, we never get their names. We don't even know who they are. Pivotal in the expansion of the early church, but we don't have a clue who they are. Especially meet them in heaven. That was, that's going to be a good day. Tim Keller calls them mavericks. F.F. Bruce and John Stott refer to them as daring spirits. As the Jewish believers made their way to Antioch, they spoke about Jesus with their kin, and that was good. Even better, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene took it upon themselves to preach the word to a new audience altogether, to the Hellenists. Now, we have seen glimmers and hints of this move of the gospel outward throughout our study so far in the book of Acts. We, we remember there was a diverse crowd when all this began in Jerusalem. People from all over the world are in Jerusalem for Pentecost. We saw the generosity of a man from Cyprus. His name was Barnabas. We're going to talk about Barnabas again soon. We saw that a, a Levite from Cyprus could actually be honestly and genuinely generous to God's church, while people who were supposedly being raised up in God's church, Ananias and Sapphira, were being greedy and misrepresenting themselves. We saw Philip share the gospel with an Ethiopian eunuch and, and then facilitate revival in Samaria, and then Peter with Cornelius and his household, and the Spirit's manifestation there, a Gentile Pentecost, if you would. You see, the church is, and Luke is telling us, the church is moving ever outward to the ends of the earth, just the, just the way that Jesus said it would. Now the good news of salvation in Christ comes providentially to this city of Antioch by the hands of faithful men to the hearts of foreigners. And many believed, and many turned to the Lord. Now we're going to stop the text right there. It's a good place for us to pause because if I don't pause right there, the sermon gets to be like another 25 minutes long. But this is also a good place for us to pause and think maybe a little bit about application. How might this brief text apply to our lives? I want to offer you three things to think about before we leave. First is this. If you are a believer in Jesus... If you have received him as Lord and Savior, then please remember that you are part of a movement that is unstoppable. With all the hand-wringing that's going on, with all the naysaying that's out there, with all the reports of the demise of the church, brothers and sisters, you belong to something that is unstoppable.
unstoppable. Jesus promised to build his church. Jesus said the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. Jesus keeps his promises. The book of Acts is account after account after account of how Jesus keeps promises. And the implication right there is because he keeps promises, you can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your life. God is faithful. God is sovereign. This text tells us, it reminds us, God is over everything. God has a perfect plan. He does what he says he will do. Also, to say that the church is unstoppable is more than to recognize that there is no scheme of hell or act of man that is going to thwart it. It's more than that. It is to realize this. It exists forever. In other words, it's not stopping ever. It's unstoppable. It exists into eternity. Our fellowship with God and our fellowship with God's people will one day be forever unbroken. That's powerful. That's true. That's what the Bible tells us. That's why in the, in the book of Hebrews, the writer says that the gospel releases us, relieves us of the fear that is common to everybody, which is what? The fear of death. You don't need to fear that. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of something that will never end. It's unstoppable. Number two, we can be encouraged from this text today in the ability of God to bring good out of evil. The persecution of Christians was not pleasant. It was not welcome. It was not anything to be happy about. And yet, what the enemy intended for harm, the church actually ended up growing because of it. It ended up blessing, the persecution in Jerusalem ended up blessing more people than we'll ever be able to, to count. This is how God works. God snatches victory out of the jaws of defeat. God is a God of great reversals. The threats that were faced by the church that were intended to dampen its spirit and snuff it out acted more like pouring water on a grease fire. I hope you've never done that, but I know you understand that image. The flames of faith were not extinguished by persecution. They were spread out. And what that reminds us, I hope, of is that God's perfect purposes are not going to be derailed by life's tribulations. God's perfect purposes will not be derailed by life's tribulations. If you are suffering today somehow because of your allegiance to Jesus, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your home, you may be a believing spouse and have an unbelieving spouse who isn't sympathetic to how you feel and what you believe. You may be in a hostile environment where you're trying to tell people truth and speak words of grace and you're being maligned. If you're suffering, you may be in college where if you stand up and say, I believe in Jesus, just about everybody there wants to shout you down. If you somehow today are suffering 
because of your allegiance to Jesus. We read about this early church and understand that that sort of suffering is not in vain. That sort of suffering is not in vain and can actually accomplish the good and gracious purposes of God. I know it's not pleasant. I know it's not good. I know it's not fun. I know it's difficult. But understand that God can, can bring good out of evil. God can bring good out of what other people intend for harm. If you are suffering today, struggling somehow because of wrong that someone has done to you, know that God loves you, Christian. He has not forgotten you. He has not turned a blind eye to you. He is not unsympathetic with your condition, with your problems. And God will work all things together for the good of those who love him. That's what the Bible says. This is the promise for you. So go ahead and consider if you would. Dream if you have to. Think about how God can redeem the circumstance that you find yourself in today. How God can be glorified. How God can bring good things out of the enemy's assaults. And thirdly, when we look at how the early church expanded its borders, we see not only its forced exodus from Jerusalem, but we also see the intentional evangelism and cultural engagement of some of its members. Whether that is by instruction that they had received while they were being discipled in, in the infancy of their faith, or whether it was through the prompting and leading of the Holy Spirit, which has been amply illustrated throughout the book of Acts, how the Spirit leads and how the Spirit guides. These men from Cyprus and Cyrene, whatever their motivation or inspiration, went. Catch that. They're not from Antioch. They're from Cyprus and Cyrene, but they went, and so they fulfilled the commander's intent. The commander's intent. The Great Commission, shared by Jesus, the beginning of this message. Go and make disciples. We see in this account that very often, for the church to grow, its members must go. Sometimes that going is not really plan A. And yet the Lord uses it. It wasn't what you were thinking of. It wasn't what you were considering. But the Lord uses it. Sometimes going is not even what one wants to do. We dig our heels in. We're comfortable where we're at. Those first believers weren't plotting how they were going to increase their reach and influence for Jesus, okay? They're running for their lives. Sometimes the going looks like something when it's something else, something different. And yet the Lord used them in the expansion of his church. And sometimes the going is indeed the plan. The men from Cyprus and Cyrene made the conscious effort. They had probably gone to Jerusalem. They were probably there around Pentecost. They could have just said, well, this is it's heating up here. Let's just go home. Let's just go back to what we're comfortable with. Let's just go back to our routine. We don't need to put our necks on the line for anything. But no, that wasn't their intention at all. Let's not go home. Let's not go where it's comfortable. Let's not go where we can blend in. Let's not go where we're not at risk. Let's go to Antioch. And let's preach. 
Jesus. They had it in their hearts that they wanted to share Christ with the citizens of Antioch. Well, whatever the case, as we see in this excerpt from Acts, whatever the case of the going, the faithful accomplishment of our great commander's intent is at play. And we do well, you and I, to truly consider what claims he has on us. What orders, what plans he has for us and whether we are doing our part to carry them out.